0: presented by grace point church in lakewood ohio we are located at the intersection of warren and Alger, and welcome you to visit us in person or
1: online at gracepointlakewood.com that's g-r-a-c-e p-o-i-n-t-e l-a-k-e-w-o-o-d
2: dot com listen to podcasts of sermons
0: from our pastor mike bartolone and various guest pastors you will see that grace is always the point, and you are always welcome. Okay, today I'd like to talk to you a little bit about, I have a, well, I have an appetizer, And then I have a sermon. But life in the kingdom is a spirit-filled life. And life in the kingdom of God is a life governed by the Holy Spirit. You know, when John the Baptist introduced Jesus, he made the statement, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but there is one that comes after me that will baptize you with the Holy Ghost. See, in the Old Covenant, we were governed by rules. But in the New Covenant, we're only governed by the Holy Spirit. And He lives within us. He said He'll guide us. He'll teach us everything we need to know as we go along this route, amen, of growth and understanding. And in the book of Exodus, 50 days after the children of Israel left Egypt, delivered by the blood of the spotless lamb, they were at the foot of Mount Sinai, and God gave them the law. And say with me, 3,000, say 3,000, people dropped dead that day when the law was introduced. Many years later in the New Covenant, 50 days after Jesus, the true spotless Lamb of God was slain on the cross. The disciples were in the upper room and God gave them the Holy Spirit. And 3,000, say 3,000, were added to the church. So you can see the contrast, the difference. When the law was introduced, 3,000 died, but when the new covenant was introduced, 3,000 were added. Amen? So under the old covenant, the letter kills, but in the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. And the main point I want to make here is that the Holy Spirit is the new covenant, what the law was to the old covenant. And under the old covenant, it was rules on rocks. In the New Covenant, it's God's Spirit writing His law upon our hearts. The law of the New Covenant is the law of love. In fact, it's called a royal law. And believe it or not, we are living in Graceland, and Adam has left the building. Amen? How many are living in Graceland? And Adam has left the building. Now, here's, a, here's the title of my sermon. That was the appetizer. More than meets the eye. More than I could understand. More than I could see. And my subtitle is, Mercy Triumphs Over Judgment. James 2.13. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 4.18. First, I'll read to you from the New King James. says, Why we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So now in the Message Bible it says, Starting in verse sixteen, going to eighteen, it says, So we're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside it often looks like things are falling apart. On the inside, where God is making new life, not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. These are hard these hard times are small potatoes compared to To the coming good times, the lavish celebration prepared for us, there's far more here than meets the eye. Do you hear what I said? There's far more here than meets the eye. The things we see now are here today and gone tomorrow, but the things we cannot see now will last forever. Apostle Paul told the Corinthians to live by faith, focusing on what they could not see rather than on what they could see. How many know that could be troubling for people who are prone to seeing everything in the natural and thinking that's all there is? And how many know we have a lot of people that believe that? This is all there is you know this is all there is and as we read a few as we read a few minutes ago in the message bible the author eugene peterson so beautifully translated this passage with the simple phrase that these that said these words there is far more here than meets the eye this phrase applies to both the dimensions of the heavenly and things we cannot see about our neighbor there is more going on inside than meets the eye. Whether it involves the women with ointment, or a prophet named Jonah and the whale. Did you ever read about Jonah? Right? I mean, lately. I mean, I I give you just only four chapters. You know, it's a small little book. Boy, he had a lot of lessons. He learned a lot of lessons quick. You know. But let's also consider this famous and misunderstood passage in Isaiah 55. Let's go to Isaiah 55. Okay, verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. (laughs) Amen? I mean, most understand this passage as God is wiser than us. And he knows things we don't know. And therefore, we don't need to seek to understand everything. Simply trust, as it says in Proverbs 3.5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not upon your own understanding. That's not easy either. Why does he keep telling us stuff that's so difficult? (laughs) Yes, always accept that Father knows best. I mean, it sounds like good advice to me. How about you? Yet, that's not what is really happening here in this verse. But let's start in verse 7. It says, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him and to our God, and he will abundantly pardon. Amen? I mean... How they try to make life work on—I mean, when we're, when we're trying to make life work on our own efforts, it doesn't work. You know, that's why I say when people—if people want the law, I say go on ahead and let me know in a couple of years how that's working for you. You know, because the Bible says the law was given to increase sin, that to let me know where I'm screwing up all the time. You know, so if I want to stay in the law, you know then I'm going to see some ugly things about me. And the unrighteous, their thoughts, your strongholds, you have built up in your mind. Let them return to the Lord that they, may, that they may have mercy because mercy triumphs over judgment. And He will have mercy on them. And to our God, for He will abundantly pardon for all their self-efforts. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord God Almighty. And I want you to listen to me right here. And this pertains to our understanding of today thinking it's the end times or the last days. Okay? See, God will have mercy and abundantly pardon because His ways are higher than our ways. If you go to verse 9, it says that. See, and mercy and pardon are higher responses than what we like to give. Our way likes to, i mean, our way like the world's way—is when somebody messes up, let's just punish them. How you know that's our penal system? That's what we do in America. If you make a mistake, or you do some bribery, or you do some bad things, they're not thinking about mercy. They're not thinking about pardon. They're thinking about punishment. Amen. And actually, sometimes judgment and reciprocity see God's ways are higher from a dimension of love many of us know little about when you start understanding God's love because this is the way God infiltrates the earth God is always chasing us he's just waiting for us to stop so he can catch up because he wants passionate relationship with each of us at all times His way is heaven reaching down into our personal hells that we have created ourselves to bring us out, take off the grave clothes and out of our own making to be set free, totally set free. He wants us totally set free no matter what mess we've made. How many, a lot of people are in a mess because they've made the mess, you know, and they need to repent. Let's go to this passage in Luke Chapter seven. verse starting in verse thirty six. It says, One of the Pharisees How I many you got a problem when you see that word? How I many know what a Pharisee is? Somebody who wants to judge you on the basis of religion. Amen. One of the Pharisees asked him over for a meal. Jesus. And he went to the Pharisees' house and sat down at the dinner table. Just then, a woman of the village, the town harlot, having learned that Jesus was a guest in the home of the Pharisee, came with a bottle of very, say very, expensive perfume, and stood at his feet, weeping, raining tears on his feet. Letting down her hair, she dried his feet and kissed them and anointed them with the perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man was a prophet, I thought he was, he would have known what kind of woman this is who is falling all over him. Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to tell you. <laughs> okay, tell me. Two men were in debt to a banker. One owed 500 silver pieces, the other 50. Neither of them could pay up, and so the banker canceled both debts. 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 Which of the two would be more grateful? That's right, said Jesus. Then turning to the woman, but speaking to Simon, he says, Do you see this woman? I came to your home, and you provided me no water for my feet. But she rained tears on my feet and dried them with her hair. She gave me no greeting, but from the time I arrived she hasn't quit kissing my feet. You provided nothing for refreshing for refreshing, for freshing me up, but she has soothed my feet with perfume. Impressive, isn't it? She was forgiven many, many, many sins, and so she is very, very grateful. If the forgiveness is minimal, the gratitude is minimal. And then he spoke to her, I forgive your sins. You better be listening because this is going to get good when I start interpreting it. And then set that set the dinner guest talking behind his back. Why would anybody ever think that they should talk behind Jesus' back? Huh? We got a word for that in Italian. Stonado. Hardheads. And that set the dinner guest talking behind his back. He ignored them and said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So Jesus is invited to the house of Simon the Pharisee for dinner. And while there, a woman described as a sinner in other translations, like we just read, a harlot and she washes, washes Jesus' feet with their tears and bathes them his feet in oil. And the Pharisee, Simon, took offense due to the reputation of the woman and questioned it is his heart whether a true prophet like Jesus would allow such a woman of ill repute to even touch him. And then Jesus shared the famous story of two debtors, one of the great debt and the other of the little, but both forgiven by their creditor. Which of them will love him more, Jesus asked. Obviously, the one who is forgiven the greater debt will love more. Even judgmental Simon had to admit that Jesus observed that the woman had shown great love because her sins were forgiven. Then Jesus said said to her, your sins are forgiven. And like many who tend to rush through things that Jesus says and does, we can easily miss an important point. Her sins were already forgiven. And that is why she showed such gratitude. It's amazing that this woman of ill repute had more discernment than Simon the Pharisee. She could sense. She could discern. I think there's anything that Christians need today is discernment. We need a lot of discernment. And if you want to know anything that I believe Christians are lacking, that's it. Discernment. They don't get it. They just don't get it. But her sins were already forgiven. That is why she showed such gratitude and love but the public proclamation of her forgiveness came after she had already shown thanksgiving. She did not receive forgiveness because of her show of love to Jesus, but it came because she knew she was already forgiven by Jesus. And that speaks volumes. See, the woman with the box of ointment knew something Simon did not know Because Simon was guilty of judgment by appearance. And that's what much of the church is guilty of today. We're guilty of judgment by appearance. When I saw the movie Jesus Revolution, that's something that really, really resonated in my heart of how many of those drug addicts came to Jesus and nobody said a word. They weren't judged. They were just welcomed home. To the father's heart. And based upon what he could only see, that's what Simon only did based on what he could see, and there was more to see than what he could see. And what he thought he knew, he saw a sinful woman, perhaps a prostitute, whom he knew by reputation. And Jesus saw a forgiven woman and interpreted her love as an admission that she saw it too. Simon's ways are like many today. They'll judge. They'll criticize real quick long before they give compassion, love, and and prayer that that person would get saved because today is the day of salvation for every person on the earth. We live in that day. Amen. And we have our standards and practices and want to see people meet them. And when they fail, we have judgments and make determinations and label people and say there's no way God will help them. I hear it all the time. But Paul wrote that it was the love of Christ that had convinced him that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Amen? And this admission led him to cease with natural judgments based upon performance. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. And that's found in... I mean, I would love to see in God's people today that kind of understanding that we would see with the eyes of God, have compassion on those who are deceived. There are a lot of deceived people today. But we need to have compassion for them and want to see their salvation... More than judgment. Amen. I mean, Apostle Paul in Second Corinthians five seven tells the Corinthians to walk by faith, not by sight. And I'd like to talk a little bit about faith. In Hebrews eleven six, it says that without faith it's impossible to please God. And for me, and I hope for you, that's a huge statement. Amen. It means that faith is a non-negotiable currency that God looks for in his interactions with each of us. It's faith that pleases him. Walk by faith, not by what you see. I don't know about you, but we can get really trapped by what we see. Amen? And we can let people who are talking to us based on what we see cause us to even wonder if we're a believer or a Christian. Amen. And if faith is such a big deal to God, we had better know what faith is. How many agree to that? Hebrews 11.1 one says faith is the substance, say substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. So faith here is described by two very solid words substance and evidence. Usually these words are reserved for things you can see, taste, and feel. But here they are used to describe faith. In a court of law, the judge is highly unlikely to accept your faith as evidence. (laughs) But God has a different standard. God himself says it is faith that pleases him and his description of faith has substance. Substance is the new covenant while the shadow is the old covenant. I was recently asked by a group of people from another denomination if we're in the last days to which I replied it all depends on which glasses you are wearing. Old covenant glasses, that would include glasses with one lens being anything in the Old Covenant, and the other lens would be mixture, anything you want to put in there. One day old, one day new. One day old, one day new. One day. It all depends on what you find and what you need and what you want to see and what you don't want to see, because you're wanting by sight but not by faith. Or having the glasses that the scriptures speak about in Romans or Galatians and Hebrews pure New Covenant classes, Because in my world, this is my world, the last days is not in our future. They are behind us. And for me, I don't know about for you, but that's good news. Can I tell you why that's good news for me? Because I'm not looking for a future seven years of hell on earth. I'm not looking for that. Because I have a Savior who killed and beat and destroyed the devil, it says in my Bible. He killed him. He destroyed him. I'm not resurrecting him. I know a lot of Christians love to resurrect dead devils. I mean, they, they have whole books written on them. On how to fight a devil that's already been defeated. 1 Peter 3, verse 8. Hebrews two fourteen. How many scriptures do you need? It's there, it's written. I'm not even looking for a great tribulation, nor a coming Antichrist. Instead of being the end of the world, it's rather the end of the old covenant age. Instead of being the last days of a global situation, it's the last days of a mosaic economy. And someone recently asked me if I thought we were getting closer to the last days, to which I replied, I think we're getting further and further away from the last days. And I think we must lose our last days mentality and get a new day mentality. The church needs to get get with it based on what's written in the new covenant. Don't mix it. If you've got glasses that are half, half old and half new, throw them away. Get new glasses. Get new covenant glasses. Amen? Now that may be a shock to many today in our world because of preconceived ideas and some people's BS, their belief system. They've been taught. I was taught. But I was untaught. I unlearned. I stopped going to the old covenant for my source. I stayed in the new covenant until I got it. And then I was able to go back and look for jewels and gems of seeing Jesus in the old covenant. But until I stopped looking for other things, I couldn't see it. I was blind. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. It says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us how? By his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. And I would ask you just to go ahead and read the rest of the chapter at some point. But the writer of the book of Hebrews called his day, the writer who was a first century writer, First century writer, the author, he says, these are the last days. How I mean, know oh, we're not in the first century anymore? <laughs> what century are you in, Glenn? 21st century. So we've, we've sort of got away from that first century book. But the whole book of Hebrews is not about the last days of a global situation. It's about the last days of an old covenant. Your Bible is very covenantal, not cosmic. The book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not about an end-time prophecy. If you're looking for end-time prophecies, you'll find it. You can see it. And the enemy will love to help you see it. But I'm not looking for that. I'm looking for Jesus. Notice that these verses that I just read to you, Use that word, God who in various times and various ways has spoken to us in times past, has, has, has. A word used that means past tense. He did not say God is going to. He said God has. And he has called his day the last days. So the writer of the book of Hebrews believed he was living in the last days. There's a lot of controversy among theologians and religious people on who wrote the book of Hebrews. I'm convinced it was Paul. But there's a lot of people who don't believe that. But that's okay. I can get I'm okay with it. Also there was another book, the book of Acts when Peter who stood up after the Holy Ghost was poured out and said Peter declared, "This is that." This is that. He did not say, this is what is going to come when some great revival breaks out in the United States or in the world. He said what was occurring right here in the upper room 2,000 years ago was the fulfillment of the words of the prophet Joel. That in the biblical last days, God would pour out His Spirit On all flesh. See, the problem that exists is in our BS, our belief system, what we believe. What we see, what we're looking for. Because we think in terms of cosmic upheavals. The world is falling apart all around us. So that means we're in the last days. No, we're not. We're just in troubled times. Jesus says, in the world, you will have trouble. But don't worry about it. I have overcome the world. Don't be so concerned. I've already, I'm an overcomer. And because I live inside of you, you're an overcomer. Amen? See, the problem exists in our thinking. And we miss the prophetic language he likes joseph in his dream from god was talking about stars in the sky or he wasn't talking when joseph gave the dream to his his family and his, his father and his brothers he wasn't talking about stars in the sky or the moon above he was talking about the covenant people of natural israel and it was about to be the end for this nation who had rejected their king messiah jesus christ and these things were written for our examples. It says in Corinthians: "Amen." And it was the final days of Jewish polity. I mean what polity is. Anybody? Government? Government. Jewish rule. See, the apostate Jews were about to miss the kingdom being offered to them. The wind of the Holy Spirit was now blowing and he was shaking the now dead fig tree. Which is also symbolic of natural Israel. And this all happened 40 years after and it was written in Acts 2. The book of Revelation describes that under the operation of the fifth trumpet, An army that had the appearance of locusts in Revelation 9, 3 through 7 was fulfilled in the first century. And on that day of Pentecost, the wind of the Holy Spirit blew away the natural kingdom and the same wind would give birth to a spiritual kingdom that would include both Jew and Gentile. For there is no other name given under heaven whereby men must be saved. Acts 4.12. There's only one name. Israel doesn't get another chance. Yet there's people out there teaching that they're going to get another chance yet. Big ministries teach that. That God's going to give them another chance. Then what are you going to do with Acts 4.12? There's no other name given under heaven. Whereby men must be saved. Only one name. Jesus Amen? The middle wall of partition, it says in Ephesians 2, was broken down. And all flesh could not be included in this ever-increasing kingdom through the born-again, born from above experience. Jesus clearly taught that we do not enter the kingdom through natural birth. We enter through supernatural birth. Yes, in that upper room on the first Pentecost... The kingdom came with power. And the kingdom is the Holy Ghost, and now the Holy Ghost is still being poured out even today in God's people. Amen? And the Holy Ghost lives inside of us. <laughs> He's always there. Amen? Amen? And the end of the world is not in your future. It's behind you. You're living in a world without end, it says. To Him be the glory in the churches throughout all ages, world without end, declared Apostle Paul. Hebrews nine twenty-six. This is talking about Jesus. If you went up to verse 24, it says, For Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into the heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often, as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another. He then would have to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, say, but now, once at the end of the ages, I mean I, want, I mean, I want to know when it ended on the cross. That's when Jesus said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. And you're living in a world without end. It'll never end. More than meets the eye, amen? And he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. We are at the end of the ages, which was the law. It's done. Nothing in the Old Covenant, except for when you see Jesus or the New Covenant that's talked about in Jeremiah, is valid. It's just not. The Bible says it's obsolete. It's obsolete. Well, more to come on this topic.
2: as the spirit was moving over the water spirit come Come rest on us, come rest on us As the Spirit was moving over the water Spirit, come move over us Come rest on us, come rest on us Come down, come down Spirit, when you move, you make my heart pound When you fill the room, you're hearing moving. I'm here and I know you will feel me. Come down. Spirit, when you move, you make my heart pound. When you fill the room, you're here and I know you will rest on Jesus I just want to thank you Lord I just want to thank you Lord thank you for our miracles Jesus thank you for filling us Father you are worthy you are mighty We live and move and have our being, Lord. Oh. let heaven on in, come rest on us, come rest on us, fire and wind, come and do it again, open up the gates, let heaven on in, come rest on us, come rest on, sing fire, fire, heart pound. When you fill the room, you're here and I know you are moving. I'm here and I know you will feel me. Come down. Spirit, when you move, you make my heart pound. When you fill the room, you're here and I know you are moving. I'm here and I know you will heal me, yeah. I know you will fill me, I know you will free me, I know you will break those chains in my life. I know you will heal the things in my body, Jesus. I know you will fill me.
1: God for the Holy Spirit. Thank God for the promise. Thank God for the Comforter, the Teacher. It says, I want to finish something in what Mike said in Hebrews 7 6. It says, But now Jesus has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also the mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second covenant. Then he says in verse 12, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their lawless deeds i will remember no more in that he says verse 13 a new covenant jesus has made the first obsolete he has fulfilled that first covenant he's made the made the one the new the old obsolete which means out of date <laughs> I'm telling you I am thankful for a better covenant with better promises and it was only Jesus you see the old was a shadow but we are living in the new which is the substance oh my goodness thank you God that you fulfilled the old covenant Teach us. Teach us these truths, Lord. We pray for more revelation. Reveal to us, Lord. Reveal to us truth, I pray. In Jesus' name. Yes, hallelujah. Read the book of Hebrews this week. Ask the Lord to give you discernment ask the Lord to give you truth that you would open your eyes to see what God is saying in these days all I know is I thank Jesus for what he has done beloved it's not just about forgiving us of our sins but it's about giving us total access back to our father That's huge. The veil has been torn. We can go straight through boldly before our God, who sits on the throne. And guess what? We're sitting there with him, seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. The word of God is so rich, so powerful so life-giving tell everybody you know about it yes tell everybody that they have a savior that salvation is now amen.
2: amen So come on my soul don't you get shy on me lift up your song Cause you've got a lion in sign of those lungs get up and praise the Lord Come on, come on my soul Don't you get shy on me, lift up your song Cause you've got a lion in sign of those lungs get up and praise. One more time So come on my soul Don't you get shy on me Lift up your song Cause you've got a lion inside of those lungs Get up and praise the Lord So I'll throw up my hands So I'll throw up my hands and praise you again and again, cause all that I have is a holiday.